former Ferrari and later Jaguar driver Eddie Irvine recently commented that he thought the team should buy Vettel out of his contract for this year and put another driver in the car. I agree completely. I think that if they were going to be able to salvage the situation, they would have done it by now. And what's going on with the relationship very publicly falling apart with every race and in between every race isn't doing anyone else any favors. I, I agree. I agree with you entirely. Welcome to the Forza F1 podcast. I'm Aaron Jenkins, the editor of Forza Magazine, and with me, as always, is Andrew Frankel, Forza's Formula One editor. After back-to-back weekends at Silverstone, Formula One moved to mainland Europe for the Spanish Grand Prix. It's been around and over 100 degrees where you and I live in California, Andrew, and it was hot in Barcelona earlier today. After Mercedes tire issues in the heat in Britain, a lot of people expected Red Bull's Max Verstappen to have a chance in today's race, but that was not the case as pole sitter Lewis Hamilton scored an easy victory, setting a new record for F1 podium finishes with 156. It was Hamilton's fourth win in six races this year, and he looks set to take his seventh world championship in just a few months. Andrew, before the season started, I was concerned that this year might not seem legitimate, for lack of a better word, with races being canceled, new races coming in, just everything that's tied up in the coronavirus pandemic. But after six races, I think this is actually a pretty typical year and a pretty competitive year, at least in the terms of any year during the turbo hybrid era, with some teams moving up like McLaren, some teams moving down like Ferrari, great racing in the midfield and Mercedes pretty much winning it all. Well, I agree with you entirely. It's a perfectly, it's a perfectly legit season and you've got to, you've got to salute Liberty for pulling these these races out of the hat and juggling, you know, countries and and, and the whole thing. It's quite extraordinary how well they're doing it. Uh, And don't forget that um, it uh, it looks as though Istanbul is coming back again. And it looks as though Jerez is also coming back. Um, And you've got Imola and you've got uh, Mugello. So, um, and you've got got Monza. you know, I think they're going to get to 15. Now, well, that's whether, their hope, and they still hope to end the season with Abu Dhabi and uh, Bahrain. Yes, yes. And, and this time around, uh, everybody's in this bubble, and by now they all know the rules. So nobody caught this, this dreadful thing, you know, like Paris two weeks ago. I think they're doing a superb job. What they can't help is for the racing to be more exciting because – um, Lewis rules the waves brilliantly, never puts a foot wrong, and uh, you've got to salute the guy. And he got out of the car today and was talking about, I think he described it as being in a daze, just being in a whole world on his own, in tune with the car, in tune with the race and everything just flowing. And in the meantime, the rest of the field was doing its thing somewhere way behind in the distance. And this is something Ayrton Senna said in 1988 when he did that unforgettable lap, which was a second and a half quicker than anyone else. He said, I was floating. It it was like an auto-world experience. So Lewis wins, and once again, Max Verstappen finishes second. 
Uh, a lot of people, including us, have talked about Mercedes dominance, which is obvious for all to see, but it's really not Mercedes dominance in a lot of ways. It's Lewis plus Mercedes because his teammate, Valtteri Bottas, after qualifying second, um, fell back at the start to fifth place and only made it back to third place at the finish. Botas just recently re-signed his one-year contract extension, as we talked about last time, but he's still clearly, unfortunately, a solid number two behind Hamilton. And he had 60 laps, six zero laps to catch Verstappen. It's not as though, you know, oh my God, you know, last, no. If he couldn't catch him in 60 days in a car, which is identical to Lewis's, there is something wrong with the guy. And I think that, well, <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but in a similar situation, you see Verstappen's teammate, Alex Albon, way much further off his teammate's pace than Valtteri is Lewis's. But clearly it's not just the car that is the winning thing here. It's the combination of the two. And actually, that leads us into something probably more interesting than the race today. It's also the team itself. The management thing here is that team boss Toto Wolf over the week suddenly revealed that he was sort of considering his future with the team. And he was very careful to say that he wasn't leaving and he had no imminent plans, but he wouldn't be talking about this if there wasn't something going on. Exactly. I mean, he just, look, he just floated it. It was, don't forget, it was a very quiet news week. And um, Formula One, like all other sports, are trying to get column inches. And they're up against all sorts of sports because the daily newspapers, call it the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, whoever, if they allocate two or three pages to sport and basketball or baseball or whatever, is more exciting than there will be a squeeze on the column inches for Formula One. And I think in a way he floated that one and also to see what sort of offers he would get. Would he be offered the boss of Liberty? Because Liberty Media's boss, uh, Chase Carey, said that he would like to spend more time with his family. Could he get that job? Could he move over to Aston Martin? could retire to spend more time with his uh, wife, you know, and so on and so forth. And I could understand it because he's been traveling nonstop for God knows how many years. And yes, he'd be winning, but after a while, he might just say, so what else can I do? I guess I hadn't thought about the possibility of him floating this in public to potentially attract interest elsewhere. We all know he has connections to uh, Lawrence Stroll, owner of Racing Point, which is going to be Aston Martin. He's an investor in, I think, the Aston Martin road car company, if I'm not mistaken. And there's also looking at what might motivate him to leave. He's also now become the winningest team boss in terms of consecutive titles. He, he clinched that laurel last year, and this year will only extend it. And presumably in 2021, when Lewis wins his eighth world championship and Mercedes, it's whatever consecutive one, he'll get that too. May I suggest, you know, the very thing you've mentioned, as far as Lewis is concerned. Lewis said, if, if Toto were to, to leave, 
That's one thing. I make my own decisions whether I stay or I go or whatever. But he already lost one mentor in Nicky Lauda. If he were to lose a second mentor in Toto, and of course, he's the winningest, you know, especially if he catches up with Michael Schumacher, there's absolutely nothing left for him to prove. Would he want a brand new face? Would he want to work with a, a guy who's never seen in his life? Um, or if you like someone who's been promoted like Binotto, and look what's happening at Ferrari, would Lewis really be happy? No, I agree with you on that. It would it would very much upset the Mercedes sort of structure that's been built up around Lewis over the past however many years. But at the same time, I don't know that Lewis ties his fortunes so directly to any one person. After all, Lauda and Wolf have built up this team and the team is bigger than them. Yeah, they might have slumped a little bit internally after Lauda's death, but it certainly didn't keep the team from winning and it's certainly not keeping them from winning this year. And if, let's say, Total Wolf retires, it's not like the entire structure is going to disappear, nor is it that, let's say that he left at the end of this year, I don't think there's any reason to think that Lewis and everybody that's left at Mercedes could not win next year before the regulations changes come in. But I completely agree with you, particularly when you get to 2022, when the formula is being to some degree reinvented. And for all we know, Renault will suddenly emerge as the new powerhouse. That is such a sore point. That is such a sore point. It's not even funny, because would you believe that in the middle of all this pandemic, Luca de Mio, the big boss of Renault, turned up? The new big boss, right? I'm sorry? The new big boss. The new big boss turned up to see his team, and they finished, I believe, they qualified 13th and 15th, and as far as I can make out, they are still running. I mean, it's desperately embarrassing. At a time when, when they had to let 15,000 workers go. So it's very difficult to justify your presence if you're not even in the top 10. No, absolutely. Um, and Renault is kind of like racing point to some degree. They show turns of speed and then they fall away. They're, they're very inconsistent in their performance. This was definitely an off weekend for them. Sticking with Racing Point, it was a very good weekend for them. They qualified fourth and fifth with Perez, who was just returning after two weeks away due to his positive COVID tests, ahead of Stroll, and then Stroll finishing one spot ahead of him, um, due in part to a fantastic start that saw him go from fifth on the grid to third at the first corner, passing Botas along the way. And while Valtteri came back through on lap five, I think it was, it was a great moment for Stroll. One of those moments of brilliance that I've talked about before, but one that is unfortunately too rare. Yes, I must admit, I, that was probably the best moment in the entire race for me when he would not lift off and he would go for a gap. And, I say, and I'm not a huge fan, I have to admit, but... I'm beginning to change my mind because, as he said, it was a bit brave because there could have been some dirt on the inside, but he kept his foot down and he, he braved it out and he was ahead. And I thought it was fabulous, you know, absolutely 
whether it's Troll or anybody else, a big well done for someone who had a go at the mighty Mercedes. Absolutely. And Stroll is another, we've, we've, we've talked about him and the reason we believe he has his seat is because his father, Lawrence Stroll, is now the team owner. And when Lance came into the sport as Williams, he was a paying driver because, as I recall, his father bought the team a wind tunnel, but invested, you know, something like 80 or $100 million over a couple of years. And that is what it is. And there's no way to deny it. And I'm sure that Lance just hates being asked about it. And it's come up more and more recently with the rumors that Vettel will join the team next year and will displace Perez, who is, of course, the faster driver. And when asked about that, Lance Stroll said, in effect, I wouldn't be disappointed if my father dumped me. We have a good relationship and there is a business side of Formula One that has to be attended to. And I guess there's nothing else he could have said, but power to him for saying that. And let's, let's be realistic. With Mr. With Mr. Mr. Stroll's money, he could nudge, nudge, wink, wink. He could arrange a seat at some place like Haas for his son. And Haas would be delighted to take his money, just like the Alpha team would be delighted to take his money. I mean, there's so much money, it's like Monopoly, for goodness sake. And um, as long as his son is not kicked out of Formula One, which I don't think would go down too well with the shareholders or the mother or whoever. I mean, actually, the shareholders don't matter that the mother might just say a couple of things like, what are you doing to our son? But no, I think the way he drove today, I would, I would keep the guy and I would hesitate over Fettel. Um, I'm sorry, you would? I would hesitate about taking Fettel on because he is, he really is in a bit of a dip now. Can he come back from there? Twice, you know, twice as brave, twice as fast, twice as determined? Or is this a permanent sinkhole, if I might put it that way? Well, that's a perfect segue into a subject that we have avoided so far, which was Ferrari's wretched weekend in Spain. It started off, I thought, on a good note when Vettel, who has been well off the pace of Leclerc, eight-tenths or perhaps a second for the last few races, um, received a new chassis for this weekend and suddenly closed the gap up on his teammate. Suddenly he was only, you know, he was within a couple of tenths and he qualified two tenths behind him. And if he had had a better lap, he might have qualified a few tenths in front of him. So whether that's, you know, psychological or whether there was actually something wrong with the car, Vettel was back on on almost on parity with Leclerc. Unfortunately for him, he qualified outside the top 10. Um, he was on a different tire strategy, which didn't pay off. But frankly, the Ferraris were so slow, it didn't matter. They were mired in the midfield for all the race, at least until Leclerc's engine cut out, put him in a spin, dropped him to the back of the field, and he refired it. And then drove back to the pits at near racing speeds without his seatbelts on or buckled, which was an interesting one, I guess, hoping to get back into the fight, but the team retired him anyway, but more, more disturbing, I think that, so that was an electrical problem maybe caused by running over the curbing in the chicane, but we saw another battle between Vettel and the pit wall when he asked repeatedly, what pace should he be setting? Cause he had just, he was 
looking like he was going to do a one-stop strategy. He'd been on the soft tires for a while. They told him to push. And then a few laps later, they said, wait, can we go to the end? And Vettel swore at them and said, I just asked you. Vettel did complete the one-stopper and was rewarded, I guess, as best as he could have been with a seventh place. He could have fallen back much further if he had pitted. But it's just every podcast, every race, I say the same thing. The situation just continues to deteriorate. Uh, absolutely. And, um, and I, I don't see, I don't quite see what's going to happen. Look, uh, having been caught at the end of last year, and with all the engines sort of fixed as they are, um, there's very little Ferrari can do. And of course, now you've got Spa coming up in two weeks' time. Oh, and Monza coming up. Very, but of course, they were glorious a year ago. Let us not forget um, with that, that trick engine that they had. Well, this year, there's definitely no trick engine, and they're not going to sail past Lewis Hamilton as if as if he was standing still. So I think the situation is pretty dire, but I must mention, and you sort of slightly reprimanded me last time on this subject, but the stock price at nearly 200, I don't have any, I hasten to it. So this business of win on the Sunday and sell on the Monday most definitely does not apply to Ferrari. Business is as good, if not better than ever. I don't know if I'd call it a reprimand or not, but yes, when you mentioned this last time, I agree with you 100% about the, the health of the road car company. Company CEO Louis Camilleri said in a recent investor call that orders, the order book was essentially still full. Order cancellations were unchanged pre or post or during the coronavirus pandemic. Aside from the company having to shut down production for seven weeks, it was essentially business as usual now. So yeah, the road car company is doing great. And as we heard, uh, Racing Point team boss, Otmar Safnauer, just took delivery of a 488 Pista, which is what he gave Sebastian Vettel a ride in, ostensibly to go pick up Vettel's Pista from where he had to abandon it after running out of fuel, which is roughly the most ridiculous story I've ever heard. But be it as it may, the road cars are fantastic. Yeah. But the team, the F1 team, is just in dire straits. And that actually brings us to another subject, or related subject. Uh, former Ferrari and later Jaguar driver Eddie Irvine recently commented that he thought the team should buy Vettel out of his contract for this year and put another driver in the car. I agree completely. I think that if they were going to be able to salvage the situation, they would have done it by now. And what's going on with the relationship very publicly falling apart with every race and in between every race isn't doing anyone else any favors. And certainly we've got Nico Hulkenberg, who's sitting there, who put in a, who out-qualified Stroll in the racing point. We wouldn't expect him to beat Leclerc, but there's no reason to think that he can't put in at least a, do at least as well as Vettel is without the drama. What do you think of that possibility? I agree. I agree with you entirely. Uh, the Hulk, who is now known as the super sub, because to, to qualify third, having literally just landed from holiday in New York or something at Silverstone, which is a very, very, very fast track, 
and he literally got into this car and blow me down. At one point, uh, he was he was third fastest. So there's nothing wrong with Hulk. He's 200% motivated. I'm convinced that he put on such a super show that the the I don't want to yet again like a gramophone record. I was going to say, let me guess. You're going to say he could take Grosjean's seat at Haas. Well, what's wrong with Magnussen's seat? Yeah, I mean, look, honestly, um, there are at least 10 Formula 2 drivers I could m- name who could take their places and be quicker and better and more reliable and so on and so forth. Formula 1 is becoming very, very exciting, very competitive. And um, I think there are some surprises coming. So next up, as we already mentioned, is Spa-Francorchamps, the Belgian Grand Prix. Um, Charles Leclerc made his Formula One top step of the podium debut there last year and then won the following race in Monza, both of which are flat-out power circuits. Um, Toto Wolff said recently that he thought Ferrari's, as you said, trick engine was up to 70 horsepower stronger um, than his engine last year. That is assuredly not the case this year. I don't see any reason not to predict a Mercedes 1-2 I think the only question is, can the racing points beat Verstappen to the bottom step of the podium? I don't know, but the, 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 there is just one sentence I would like to say, you know, to all our very loyal listeners in 34 countries, that even if they've got an awful lot on their plate, if they can watch the first corner uh, of the Belgian Grand Prix, which is notorious, that happened is notorious for some of the most spectacular incidents, not horrible accidents, just incidents. Don't miss it. That's it for this episode of the Forza F1 podcast. Join us in two weeks after the Belgian Grand Prix. Thanks for listening this week. We'd love to hear from you, so get in touch if you have any questions or comments via our website, forza-mag.com. That's F-O-R-Z-A-M-A-G.com. You can follow us on social media at Forza Mag, F-O-R-Z-A-M-A-G, no hyphen.